Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift for Torino Adriatico Stage 7, the final stage. Now, maybe if they reverse the parkour, it would be a little bit more interesting as a final stage for GC. This used to be <laughs> the uh, opening time trial. They'd finish here in the opening time trial. Or maybe it was the final time trial. Uh, but now it's a sprint stage. 155Ks, there's medium mountain in the first half, and then the last half they go up and down the seafront on the flat, which is great stuff in San Benedetto, San Benedetto del Toronto. Now, those mountains at the start could be used. Dainese said after the stage that he and DSM, they really wanted to make it more difficult for riders like Phillips and Groenewegen and Jakobsen and have more of a reduced uh, sprint. But the other teams were sort of letting his wheel go and eventually a decent enough break form, Benji. Yes, certainly. We had in the breakaway Nance Peters from Ajuzère, Honoré from Iavedication first. We had Fortunato from Aeolo, Socarato, another uh, Italian pro team rider, Armirai, Vandana Belefero, and Arthur Klukers. Klukers is one of those guys that, I swear, a pretty talented Luxembourg guy that ended up signing for Tudor. But anyway, this break was up the road and it's a large breakaway, so it's going to take a bit more riders to control. But there's enough teams here that won the sprint. Eh? You've got so many sprinters that. Haven't gotten their victory yet. Grunwegen wants his team to chase a bit because they always chase on any possibility for a sprint stage, which I probably enjoy. Next to that, Quick Steps, a team that wants a sprint. We've got Alpacin who wants a sprint. We've got DSM who wants to make it a bit hard. So as a consequence, they're also making it tougher for this breakaway. So there's so many sprint teams that want something out of the stage that eventually this break would be getting caught. But it took a bit long, I would say. But maybe that's a calculated thing, eh? Maybe the peloton knows, oh, we don't necessarily need to go all out because the break's like a half a minute ahead. So let's wait a bit longer. Let's catch them in the last portion. And that's what they were being caught at in the last portion. Now we go, we're going to go straight to a sprint, right? Yeah, it looked like, like, oh, they might not get caught, but there's too many teams <laughs> that have worked here. There were some teams, they were like dicing with, do we try and keep our last man do we you know use him to pull like in Kerner last year Quickstep used their whole team to pull because they need to bring back Laporte and they only managed to do it in the last 300 meters it didn't get to that stage the break was inside they could see them five seconds ahead with about 3.5 kilometers to go yeah. what was curious this is a very very technical finish there's roundabouts like uh, a, a narrowing of like two three rider widths very very technical dangerous some would say uh run in and it's it's because stages finish in these towns and european villages or towns that pay for the finish well there's loads of road furniture and traffic calming because that's a good thing for making cars slow down but when a bike race comes through it makes more obstacles to dodge so I mean, this stage is a perfect example to me of why the three-kilometer rule is completely pointless, should be abolished, <laughs> does nothing for safety, creates more stress, creates an additional sprint um, for a, an imaginary finish line that shouldn't really be there because now the GC teams keep pacing after three kilometers to go. We see it all the time, particularly with Ineos. Yeah, Filippo Gano's the rider that's at the front. Then the curious thing when it comes to that is that he's pacing with no Enios rider within the 30 or 41st riders. Now, I'm guessing and you're guessing that it's because 
Gegenhardt was probably near him initially, and then he went to the front, then Gegenhardt lost the wheel somewhere or something, and he thought that Gegenhardt was still close, I would guess. But there's no point in that, eh? Right? What was the point in a team being still doing that? Is it because they, they're still scared of crashing? Yeah, I think, well, it's one of two things. Either Ghana thought someone could lose the wheel through one of these corners, and Van der Poel nearly had his wheel lost through one of these corners or quick sections, or second, yeah, he, they think the three-kilometer rule is nice and all, but you still need to finish in the bunch, yeah. and it is safer at the front. So we don't want our riders crashing. We don't want them caught behind a split if there is a split. So, yeah, like it just... Anyway, there's studies that have been done that show that the three-kilometer rule, the introduction of it, has not reduced crashes. Um, and I would say it increases stress, and we should be more focusing on uh, having safer finishes, which have been a struggle this week. We had a car on the course in Paranese today. We had that ridiculous bollard in one of the sprint stages earlier in the week in Paranese that Martinez nearly careened into. Um, at Seneschal, I was talking about it on Twitter. Same in across all the races. Anyway, if you don't want to have issues on the road, the <laughs> Zwift Hub is the training device for you with full immersion feel. It feels completely real. Smarter workouts, a wireless connection, whisper quiet, and a rock solid construction for $4.99. Built for your bike, coming pre installed with a cassette to match the, uh, the gearing on your bike, and easy to set up instructions. If you want to check it out and then jump in and jump onto the Swift, you can go to the link down below to check out the Swift Hub, the best value price trainer in the overall trainer market. Thanks to Swift as always, for supporting the show. We're coming to a sprint, Benji. Jakobsen. I've been saying Jakobsen mechanical day for a while, and <laughs> it, it finally came. This well, is... Uh, I mean, Melia didn't get every sprint right either at Paranese. That's for certain. Now we're going into this final stretch, and we see certain teams applying certain strategies. Quick step one of them is that they're moving up with a four-man train. Jakobsen in last wheel with two kilometers to go on the left side of the road, and... They're actually failing to do so because they've got three riders with them and Jakobsen loses the wheel with 1.9 kilometers to go and gets, I don't know, there was a gap to follow the rider, but he didn't really go for it. Maybe there's still a bit of the scariness from his Tour de Polonia history and so forth. I, I would believe that Jakobsen probably still has consequences of that in, in terms of his abilities of going through gaps and so forth and a slight fear there, which is understandable. And in this situation, he just doesn't really follow Ballerini through that gap and... As a consequence, he's not with Ballerini, who moves up with the other two riders almost to the front. Then he, Jakobsen, ends up with, without a pilot with 1.5 kilometers to go and has to try and move up alone. But if he's positioned 25 then into the last kilometer, another quick step rider is P13, another rider is P3. Those two riders are not going to be able to help out Jakobsen from those positions. So if you're them, you look back and you try and find Jakobsen again and you try and fix the situation, right? Is that not also kind of their fault? Mm, nah, I've seen Jakobsen let his lead-outs wheel go too many times now okay. to put it on them. Seneschal okay. tried to... Oh, no, that was Melier. I'm sorry, uh, San Juan. <laughs> San Juan, he let... Mercury. Same sprint. He let Mercury's wheel go, and then he shot up the barriers, and that stupid spectator was leaning with the phone out and nearly... Well, it did hit him in the face, but it could have cut him up or something worse. Um, I don't know. It's 
you needed to be first like six wheels in the with one k to go that was the problem with this sprint that was where you needed to be at and we have gc teams mixing up van art didn't contest this sprint we yeah. saw he was riding for roglic in the wheel i was hoping to see roglic maybe leading van art out didn't happen it was a bit of a messy sprint no one crashed thank god um but philipson and I mean, Vanderpool was really good again today. This is two, two lead-outs in a row where he's been good. And also, I think he had a gap through a corner, looked back, yeah. and kind of paused a bit rather than unleashing full beans. Yeah, that seemed to be the case. And you've got the situation. You have Matteo Vanderpool going into those corners. Ballerini's still there. That was the rider of Quickstep. That was the highest up. That's in second position. Philipson in third wheel. When it comes to the other sprinters, there were two more teams that really mattered for a potential stage win here that both kind of came up at the same time. First, you have Jayco, who had a strategy where they had firsts with roughly 1.3 kilometers to go. Mezgets facing or piloting Grunewijk into the front. I think it was on the left side of the road, but I'm not sure about it. And they move up, and Mezgets, instead of like dropping off, he goes and sit behind Grunewijk roughly. And yeah. we see that come into play in the final, when Grunewijk is trying to get to the wheel of Philipson in this sprint. And Mezgets is still in the wheel to try and help him out later on. Because then Mezgets gives another lead out for Grunewagen on the right side of the road. And the same happens with Coffert is where they've got multiple riders there, two riders, and they also pull a lead out at that final. So, like you said, Matthew Vanderpool going through that corner. In his wheel, Ballerini, Philipson, two riders of two teams that are ready to do another lead out next to those riders. And we go into the final section, eh? Gavira was in pretty good position. I was quite disappointed with where he finished. Maybe he spent yep. a lot to get there. I mean, he doesn't really have a last man here. Bauhaus was brought up by, I think, let me guess, he's Italian, he's got to be here, Pascalon. Uh, <laughs> so and Pascalon's actually been pretty solid, 35, 36 yep. years old from Intermarché. He's still a very valuable rider, I think. Uh, he brings Bauhaus up, but being brought up with 500 meters to go is always so much more costly than just being third wheel, getting a lead out already from 500 meters to go. And that's where Philipson was. We saw the same thing with Coy and Paranis. You don't want to be second wheel. You get less draft in second position. Third wheel's where he is. He's behind the quick step lead out and his own lead out. And Ballerini, you asked me, should it criticize um, quick step NG? This is where, yes, yeah. you if you do not have your lead out, and you, you can look back when it's strung out a bit, you'll see I've seen guys look back like I think Van Poppel or Mullen have done it before. If you look back and your lead out man is not third wheel, and then if he's not third or second wheel, then you probably can't see him at all. If you can't see him at all, do stop your lead out. Yeah. Stop your lead out completely. All you're doing is making it harder for him to move up. And in reality, Jakobsen was not conditioning. But what if Jakobsen was in fifth wheel? Yep. Or sixth wheel? And you're basically delivering Philipson and dropping him off at, I think, 140, yep. 135. And you're dropping Gronewegen off there. Even if Jakobsen's fourth or fifth wheel, he can't make it up because those guys are going to do 10 seconds and it's impossible for him to win. Now, if you stop at 225, and Jakobsen's in fourth or fifth wheel, well, now they're going to have to launch too early, and they will launch. So that's something where you will see Merku as well. He will stop his lead out if he can't see his guy in the wheel, because why help someone else? And that's what happens. Philipson jumps. He's super aero. It's that close to the finish, 
And I thought Gronavegan was going to beat him, actually. Really? I thought Gronavegan was going to be able to jump out of his wheel because he, when he is in good position, he has that huge burst, but he either spent too much or Philipson is... I mean, he's gone quicker. This is what we were saying about Coy. It's like, okay, Coy's not blowing the doors off at 21 years old, but Philipson wasn't in 21 either, and now he's beating Gronavegan easily, straight up. Yeah. So, I don't know. Impressive from Philipson. Impressive from Vanderpool. Two stage wins. Good trainer from them. Yep, for certain. We know that Philipson's one of the best sprinters in the world. Last year, he was the best sprinter in the world, in my opinion. And that's partially also because he has that quality of positioning himself that well because he can dive through every single small gap. And we saw that a few times today as well, where he, where he fights his way into positions by just being there quicker than others because he can go through gaps that others can't go through. And that's once again available here. Now, Grunewagen is once again brought perfectly to the wheel of Philipson there by Mezgets on the right side of the road at 600 meters to go after already being piloted to the front already. So I'd argue that Jacob actually really got it right as well, despite Grunewagen yeah. not beating Philipson here. Their lead out was top notch. And the same for Kofidis. I have no clue who finished where for Kofidis. I'm guessing it's going to be for Kokar. Oh, Konsani, that explains. Kokar is probably it's not here. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> But yeah, Gaviria, he was basically behind the Cofidis and Jayco train with 600 meters to go. So I was like, it's maybe a bit too far. Binyam's too far. Looks like there was another Andrew Mashke rider fighting there for the sprint. That's probably going to be Turnison, is my guess. I should probably look at the top 10 to actually see which riders these are. But there's no Andrew Mashke rider in the top 10. So I've got no clue who that rider is. I'm going to guess Turnison. <laughs> but yeah, it's like Jordi Mez is also that kind of rider now where he wasn't in that position when the sprint started and he's then fighting in that 10th position and you can't win a race like that. What do you think about this? There's a lot of sprinters that have an opportunity to move up with roughly 500, 600 meters to go and do from like an 8th or 9th position and don't do so because they want to save their energy for the final sprint. But you can't win anyway, right? From that position, so wouldn't it be better to just risk it for the victory Spend a bit of energy moving up in the wind on the right side. Try and fight a position in front of you to then sprint from that wheel because otherwise you can't win in the first place. You're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, I guess. I mean, Gaviria launched early the other day, nearly won. So is Gaviria regretting not jumping? He finishes 10th here. The other day he nearly won. So I don't know. It, the problem was the good sprinters, the best sprinters here, were also in the best position, apart from Jakobsen being Philipsen and Gronovacken. So yeah. if they're in good position, they're dropped off with 200 or less. Like, you got these guys ruined everybody. Dainese came third from bad position. Uh, Bauhaus fourth, Consoni fifth, Nitzolo sixth, May seventh, Russo on RK eighth, and Colnagi and Gaviria. Uh, other new, oh, in terms of, no, other news. Uh, Kelderman didn't start the stage because of his crash yesterday. Pidcock crashed during the stage and abandoned, which is a shame because I think he was supposed to do Milano San Remo next weekend. And I don't know, it's obviously never, I don't know his condition. Uh, so hopefully he's okay. And in terms of GC, Roglic wins. They were, they were lying to us, Benji. Um, Roglic here with no pressure just to, just a ride around Italy, <laughs> I think not. Wins GC by 18 seconds out of Almeida. Gagan had a good result. Uh, third in 23 seconds. Kamna, very nice. 34 seconds in fourth. Then Ciccone Lander. Carthy looking good in seventh. Uh, yeah. But with a longer climb, I think Carthy uh, would have been better than that. Vlasov eighth. Pino ninth. Adam Yates 
tent, I will say this was a very but, bonus and medium mountain heavy race. And some of the pure climbers like Mars, Carthy and Lander were hampered by this parkour in the mountain stage. Maybe you've already said it, but who lost position in GC? Because I swear Pino was 10th this morning. Uh, Wilco? Oh. I don't know. Lechnesund? No, I don't know. W Wilco, was he in top 10? Enric. Enric is gone. No, that can't be right. That's not That's right. Really he, wrong. he finished, I saw him finish next to Roglic at the finish. Okay, then just forget what we just said. The, the list I'm looking at is wrong. He must wrong, have changed bike. Yeah. There was some drama this morning, though, when it comes oh, yeah. to the, the times of GC riders. Because we had a situation where this morning we had an announcement by Paris that there would be a penalty Tirreno. for certain riders. Okay, Tirreno Adriatico. All these races, come on, man. Can't do anything about it, eh? So <laughs> many races. Anyway, in Tirreno Adriatico, there would be a time penalty of 20 seconds for certain riders that rode on the footpath on the Muro del Borgo di Cova, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the steep climb yesterday, and I completely forgot what it's called. That climb, there was like a side of the road where with some bollards and certain riders rode on the footpath, then went on the road again when the bollards were there. There's also certain riders that went behind the bollards on the footpath. And some of those riders got penalized 20 seconds. Now, this morning, and 500 but, francs. Wow, wow, 500 Swiss francs. They're gonna be so sad about the 500 Swiss francs. You give 500 Swiss francs. The, the team probably 500 Swiss francs, I'm pretty sure. No, actually, that's an interesting question. Can any <laughs> team let us know who pays the fines? <laughs> sure, exactly. no, it's the riders. That's true. And also, like, is there like a scaling francs. system? Because, like, a Conti team shouldn't pay the same fines as a Walter team, right? They do. It's crazy. Pretty anyway. Sure. <laughs> and the women pay the same, didn't they? I don't know. There was like some drama, right? There when was, it comes I like A few years ago in the Ronde van Vlaanderen when Borghese had her DSQ yeah. because of throwing a bottle or something. Uh, something vague. Anyway, situation was as follows. Landa and Carthy would lose 20 seconds and would drop in GC. With Moss being in GC at that time, and that would Pino. mean that Pinot would move up to 8th position. Oh, he not find. No, he was the Onward. mover. Onwards. To the top. <laughs> to 8th position, while Carthy and, uh, and Landa would drop to 9th and... El no, to 10th and 11th, because Adam Yates would then come above yeah. the 10th rider. I don't know, there, there was a movement there. Anyway, just to talk about it, what do you think about this penalty, knowing that the rules say as follows? We know that walk, riding on the footpath, if it's indicated, and obvious that it's a footpath, like... If there's, there's a level change, which there wasn't. It says level change or physical features. What is a physical feature? Does a bollard bol count as a physical feature? I mean, I guess. This is the Lampard discussion again, isn't it? Like, it isn't is. this the whole Lampard thing? It's yeah. a very similar type of road and road furniture where there's no level change, but there's some indication that one is not like the other. And uh, isn't there something in the rules about if that's the case, it's incumbent on the organizers to put a... Shouldn't they just, if they don't want them riding there, put a strip of, um, yeah, just a, what's a strip? Fragile tape. That's the one. Yeah. The police tape, the murder, <laughs> yeah. murder scene tape between the bollards. <laughs> just tie it up, yeah. take five seconds. And they're doing a circuit, by the way. They do this climb three times and problem solved. Yeah, exactly. Now, there's also a segment in the rules that says that the organizers 
could actually block this off. Like you mentioned, if there's a, a large chance of a rider deviating from the course, whether it's on purpose or not on purpose. So I'd argue that there's also blame to be given to the organizers here in the same way that we said at Paris-Roubaix with the Lampard discussion when he went like off the road and then around the, the boulder thingies that were standing by the side of the road. Anyway, all this being said, there's also multiple riders that and did this around the bollard because those are the riders that get, did get penalized, not the ones that went on the footpath without the bollards, only the ones behind the bollard. And there's plenty of riders that did that, like Ave that I counted just by watching in, in six minutes, just scrolled back to the uh, stage of yesterday. So eight riders that also went behind the bollards and weren't penalized. So, Wait, so you're allowed to go between the bollards. Yeah. You're allowed to ride on the footpath, but yeah. you cannot go behind the bollard. <laughs> Makes no sense. Well, does it and make they, sense? They announced this this morning. It's yeah. they didn't do it last night. I don't know if it, maybe it was last night, but I saw it this morning on, on Twitter this that morning. it rose up. So, and then they rescinded it during the stage. Yeah. So just we've all we've been through this entire discussion. To say to you that they brought in that rule, they penalized those riders just to unpenalize them during the stage. So it's all been useless, but it does make you question everything, eh? Because, like, first of all, not consistently applying the rule to all the riders behind the bollards. Secondly, should it be only for riders that go behind bollards? Because otherwise, Roglic and Almeida should also have lost 20 seconds because they were also on the footpath. Then half the peloton loses 20 That's seconds. That's what's happened. That's what's happened, though, clearly. <laughs> like, someone from Bahrain or EF, quite rightly, have sent a very obvious screenshots to the commissaire saying, are you fucking kidding me? How have you not penalized everyone else that did this? And then they're like, oh, well, we can't give everyone 20 seconds, so but if the bollards, <laughs> But if the bollards are the physical features in the rules, then the riders that ride in between aren't technically breaking that rule unless you're going to count the gutter as the physical feature that divides the road and the footpath. It's becoming difficult. Huh? I think um, with no level change, I mean, you either find them all or you don't. I, I think drawing a distinction between riding behind the bollard and riding <laughs> between them, to me, there's no distinction there. If, the, if it's a footpath and you're not supposed to ride on it, then yeah. you're not supposed to ride on it. The bollards are suggesting that. They're not saying that you're supposed to Right in between Just them. ride in between them. That's <laughs> nonsensical. So to, but, you either find everybody or you don't. And they didn't have the stomach to find everybody, so you find nobody. Even though, yeah, I don't like riders riding on uh, footpaths or whatever. We also don't know in the commissaires or DS briefing before Torino or in the roadbook, which I haven't checked, did they say, hey, don't ride behind those bollards. We will find you if you do that. If they have said that, then you find everybody. But they didn't find everybody, so maybe they didn't say that. Um, and if you really care about it, tape it off. Exactly. They should tape it off on paper because that's in the rules. It's a circuit. So it's you the got, organizer's fault. Of course. We're not like drive through every kilometer of a 200 kilometer normal road stage and sweep every corner of every bit of that is like we, that is an unreasonable request of organizers. But on a circuit, if you really don't want people to ride somewhere, tape it off. I mean, it's interesting because on those Alcala La Real and those Andalusia finishes, Benji, they're very similar, but there's actually no bollards, but there's people standing in the road. Um, <laughs> and riders like Landa was there and the riders used the whole road. Um, yep. The reason Roberts didn't ride behind the bollards, maybe because he was scared of 
he landed and they crashed him like five times. Yeah, 100%. Anyway, he wins GC here. Um, just like Pony, so I've learned nothing new, to be honest. <laughs> you only learned that Roglic's injury is not a lasting one, that he's shown up on level, and yeah, that yeah, you yeah. can expect him to be on True. a solid level at the Giro d'Italia. That's the only thing you learn from this race. You also learn, like Paranese, about the secondary GC riders, I guess. You learn a bit more about Go Moss do. confirming one next again that he's pretty damn good. That I still argue if this race has no headwind on the mountain finish, on Sosoteto, Moss wins this that stage. Depending on the bonus seconds, he might not win the race, though. Who went with him? Landa? Chicane? Yeah, I think, I think the climbing yeah. guys, I think Roglic, a lot of things were in his favor in this race. First of all, Van yeah. Aert was happy to be a domestique the whole time, and so Roglic got to gobble up all the bonus seconds. Um, and listen, he only won by 18 seconds, which is, how many damn bonus seconds did he take? 30. Almeida would have been in, G in first in GC if Roglic wasn't, right? Yeah, Almeida smoked him in the TT. Not smoked, you beat him by eight seconds. Rolex TT was bad, 49 seconds. So yeah, like, he wins on bonies, and one of those was where Van Aert crashed out, and he won the stage. So, yeah. swings and roundabouts. Um, I agree, I think Rolex top climbing shape wasn't quite there, uh, yeah. but listen, three stage wins in GC, that's uh, a good result for someone coming here without pressure. Otherwise... Things I've learned from GC. Carthy's in much better shape than last year. Yep. And UAE. Who knows? Any else? Nothing not changes. There, right? Uh, Gegenhardt third, I think is yeah, good. Yeah, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I was in his head again. These races, like, I'm always mixing them up at the same time. <laughs> when, they're, when they're on. Should there but, be one mini Grand Tour between Paranese and Torino? Uh, one... Ooh. Like a 12-day hmm. race. And like the last stage of Summer Amo, that, <laughs> that, that's, that's overkill. That's overkill. So yeah, you I do. No, it's a, a, a grand tour. It's the tricolor. You go <laughs> um, Tirreno, uh, France, and then Northern Spain. And it's just one race. Yeah, but you start off with stage one being Strada Bianca. Yes. No. It, <laughs> and then you finish with Clasica Hayen in the south of Spain. <laughs> And you have to do four Nardesh and Drome Classic uh, on the way through south of France <laughs> in the Ardèche region. Um, We're inventing no great ground tours. Yeah, listen, Torino. I don't know. Ineos. Ineos, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what I'll do if I was them. Actually, to be honest, like, <laughs> yeah. I really G Giro's easy. All in for G. Um, I would send Gagenhart to the tour. I would yep. not send him to the Giro. I think Gagenhart is looking like, and things can change, obviously. But apart from G, who is still their best GC leader at 30 whatever years old, um, but he's doing the Giro. And I think Gagenhart's their second best on current form. He's third in Valenciana, sixth in Andalusia, third in Torreno with multiple podiums on stages. And the, the Tour de France is uh, punchy. Some of the stages, Puy de Dome is not so long. There is no TT kilometers and it's a hilly TT. I think Gagenhart to the Tour uh, makes a lot of sense. 
to me, actually. I do think that Rodriguez will be on the same level that a Gegenhard would be at the tour. He's just injured right now since Strade Bianche. True. So that's like a similar thing, but I don't really mind them having two co-leaders like that in that race. In the same yeah. way that they had at the Vuelta, for example, multiple leaders. Like, even adding a Sivakov to that is not a crime. I mean, you, you can't go in with Gegenhardt as a sole leader because he crashed out of the Vuelta. You saw that coming in Les Prairies, the technical run-in. Uh, I think Sivakov was caught up maybe there too. You, you, can't, um, you can't put all your eggs in the Pidcock, Sivakov, Gegenhardt basket. So listen, throw a lot of shit at the wall and hope something sticks. Like, yeah. Pidcock's obviously going to go and get support. I wouldn't sacrifice Gegenhardt for him initially. Maybe you can win a stage. Like, winning a stage definitely... Is better than not winning a stage. Um, Hater Giro together with Thomas, or would you go all out for Thomas? Because there's hilly sprint stage in the Giro that I would argue, but yeah, Ethan right. Hager's positioning, let's be honest about it. That's the he big can, issue, eh? He can do Sedimano Internazionale, copy of Barsley. <laughs> he, can do two, he can win Tour de Hungary GC. It's not at the same time as the Giro. Look, Blab Giro? Uh, sure, sure. I mean, yeah, yeah, go for G. G's good in the cold. Yeah. Um, 100% for G. Vuelta, Rodriguez, and whoever. Martinez. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like, I've given up trying to predict Martinez's shape. It's <laughs> like, I thought it'd be good today or in the Paranese, and he wasn't. Um, I don't know. Anyway, that was Trino Adrico. Uh, Trino what's what? the <laughs> pardon? What did you say? That was the end of Tirreno Adriatico. Okay. Um, burn after reading. What did we learn? No fucking idea. Uh, <laughs> Roglic still the Terminator. Wins three stage in GC. Thanks very much for listening as always. And we're back with the Milano San Remo preview early next week. Till then. Ciao.